So uh, several years ago, my wife Jennifer and I uh, actually went to the Virgin Islands and to Trunk Bay, one of the seven most beautiful uh, beaches uh, in the world. And while we were there, uh, what we decided to do is to go snorkeling. So uh, I put my snorkel gear on. I think we have a picture there uh, of me. And if you look at that, you would say unattractive, right? Like not very attractive. But if you think of Trunk Bay, you think beautiful, very, very attractive. And Jennifer and I uh, decided we would go snorkeling. They have a little place that you can uh, do a whole trail there. And when we made that decision, uh, we got all the gear on and we're going out to where the trail was. And it, because of the, the bay itself, uh, it's very calm and there wasn't much wind. The waves weren't very high. And you looked up and everything was okay, but it was just kind of, of boring. That's uh, beautiful around you, but our whole point was to actually see what was underneath the ocean or underneath uh, the or underneath the surface, and so as we're looking at uh, all of this, we finally put our heads down, and all of a sudden, there's all of these fish that are all around us, and we see this coral reef, and there's marine life everywhere, and it was just like amazing, and we didn't want to bring our heads back up to the surface because the surface was kind of boring. But when we looked into the actual ocean that was below us, we could see life and we could see life to its fullest. Now, folks, often, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but there can be a lot more than what's just on the surface. Have you ever noticed that in life? that there are many things that are bigger and greater than just on the surface of where we are. And God wants you to live a life, not just being on the surface. He wants you to get your head into the game to be able to see all of the life that is underneath and around you that he wants to have you gain a grander vision. He doesn't want you to live a dull, kind of boring life. He wants you to live a life that is grand, a grander vision kind of living. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 5 that focuses in on what it means to live a grander lifestyle. And I think the best example is in the story that we find uh, that Jesus gives to us in Luke 5. And the story goes like this. Once, when Jesus was standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He, what's the next word? What did he do? He noticed. Everybody on the stream right now, you can type in right now. He noticed. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were, what were they doing? They were washing their nets. Now, if you think about fishing in the ancient world, if someone early in the morning was washing their nets, do you know what that meant? They didn't catch anything. They got nothing all night long. They got zero, zilch, nada. They had been out fishing all night 
but they had caught nothing. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus noticed these two empty boats at the water's edge. Their fishermen had left them and they're washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now, what's going on in this situation? Well, Jesus is trying to talk to this crowd of people, but have you ever had that experience before where you're on the beach and because of all the noise of the waves coming in and the people around, you can't really hear very well. And so he takes into account his technology and Jesus goes ahead and he says, hey, come and let me get in this boat, Simon. I'll go out there and my voice will project and it'll hit the back of the kind of rocky areas and everyone will be able to hear me. And then notice the conversation. Verse four, it says, when Jesus then had finished his speaking, in other words, the sermon was all done. He said to to Simon, now, what's the next two words? Let's say now, go out. He says, now go out where it is deeper. And then Jesus says, and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now, does anyone remember what Jesus's occupation was? He's a carpenter. He's not a fisherman. What is someone trying to tell fishermen how to fish? And you can kind of hear it in this next part. Simon goes on and he says, well, master, uh, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. Like, we're the professional fishermen, not you. And I just can't believe that you want us to do that. But if you want us to, he's doubting. Peter's like, I doubt this is going to work. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down. Any of you ever have doubts before? Yeah. Doubts about... God, doubts about life, doubts about people, doubts about whatever. We have doubts all the time. I'm a person who has my own doubts. And this is what I found, that Jesus actually loves people who have doubts because when we have doubts, it actually allows us to have some area to grow in our faith, that we can learn, that we can be stretched. And Peter is here having these doubts like, I know you're supposed to be this guru, but I'm not so sure you're uh, much of a fisherman. And so he has these doubts on whether or not this can take place. But he says, if you say so, Jesus, I'll go ahead and I'll let the nets down. Verse 6, it goes on to say. And this time, there were nets that were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners to the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Think about that. They catch nothing all night long. And this carpenter comes and says, we'll do it one more time. They're like, ah, great, do it. And now all of a sudden, there's so much fish, they're afraid they're going to sink their boats. And then look at how Peter responds. 
When Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Folks, this is the mother load catch. This is a record catch. They've never seen this before in their life. It was a miracle. And Simon's like, because I was obedient, because I just said I would go out and do this one more casting of the nets, this is how Jesus came through. And this miraculous catch takes place. And Simon said, and Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, You'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. Folks, the disciples had never seen a catch like this before. It was the catch of all catches. They had never seen so many fish. The boats are sinking and they begin to start getting so excited like, man, look what we're going to be able to do. And they're going crazy. And I can imagine Jesus is in the boat just kind of laughing like, really, guys? Like, I'm glad you like the fish. This is really cool. But, you know, fish, those scaly, smelly, kind of nasty things, uh, that's not really the grander vision I have for you. The grander vision that I have for you is not just making some dollars out of fish, but some destinies out of people's lives. And Jesus is like, I want to show you something more. You think fishing for fish is great. I'm going to actually show you how to fish for people, men, women, children. You think those six inches or those 12 inches are like really big and like, oh my gosh, we've got fish. He goes, no, 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 I'm going to get six footers that you're going to go after as you leave everything and you go after people to fish for people again and again. You know, folks, today what Jesus is saying to some of you in this place, you've been fishing for the wrong things. You've been fishing for success, money, more time, more more vacation, For all of you that are on the stream right now and you're in Florida or some other place, we don't like you. (laughs) But fish for people. And that's what God is saying. The most important thing you could do with your one and only life is invest it into something that will outlive your life. And the two things that we know will be in heaven, folks, is God and people. There may be other things and there could be different Debates that you could have from Scripture, but the two things that are two things that are guaranteed: God's going to be there with His Son Jesus, and there's going to be people, and you have an opportunity to invest in people, to fish for people. Now the question becomes: Then how do I live that grander kind of life? Like, what are the steps to do that? And this is your first fill-in. For those of you that are on the stream, go ahead and you can write it uh, on uh, your uh, program or on, the, on your phone as well. You make people the priority. 
You make people the priority because you know people are what's going to be in the next life. When it comes right down to it, if you think about it, folks, life is all about people. Our greatest moments are when we're around people. Our our greatest disappointments sometimes are when we're around people. The saddest moments of our life are when we have to bury someone that we love. All of life is about people. People matter to God. And if people matter to God, then they must matter to us as well. In fact, Jesus was very crystal clear when he said that the path that you should be on, the best path for your life is a life that looks like this. And then he said these words, you should be light for other people. Live so that they will see the good things you do and will praise your father in heaven. Folks, your life, your light is one of a kind. And if your light doesn't get out into the world, then you miss out on impacting the people that are around you. You can have two choices. You can either allow your light to shine and draw people closer to God, or you can choose to hold on to your light, keep it to yourself, don't share it with anyone else, and the people around you will never experience the light that you have in Christ himself. And the way that you do this, folks, the way you show your light the best is when you take steps and you take walks, walks across rooms, walks across your school, walks across factory floors, and you accept people exactly where they are, and you care for them, and you love them, and when other people reject them, you're the person there to embrace them, to befriend them, to let them know that they're not alone. You prioritize people. And once you do that, what you start finding is, I don't want to live a life that's just solitary by myself and thinking only about me, myself, and I. I actually love to see transformation in the lives of other people because there's nothing better in life. There's no investment that you can make that is better than to see a person's life transformed. So first of all, you prioritize people. Secondly, you see potential in people. You see potential in people. You know, the best parts of Scripture that I love the most are the passages that tell us about who Jesus picked to be his disciples, his followers, or his friends. If you read the Bible, what is so amazing is as he's picking his 12 disciples, what you notice is who he didn't pick. Of all the people that he could, chose, uh, to, uh, that he could have chosen to be his hands and feet, to be messengers with all that he was giving. He did not pick spiritual superstars. He did not pick the most religious people of his day. He did not pick uh, the person who was the smartest or the most educated or the person who was most likely to succeed in school. He chose 12 people who were messed up, who were sinful, who were insecure, who were inadequate, and from them, he turned the world upside down. And I don't know about you, but it gives me hope in my life that if he can use messed up people to turn the world upside down, he can use my one and only life in such a way that there might be impact with all of my friends, my family, my coworkers, my neighbors, to where they might find grander living too. And you have the opportunity 
to receive that because he sees potential in each one of you that you can't see for yourself right now. He sees the ability for you to do that. He took these people who were self-centered and he said, I will give potential for servanthood. He took the past of them of being rebellious and he said, I see potential for righteousness. He said, I can see that you are people who are quick to use your mouth, but I see potential for you to use your mouth to change the world. And Jesus can do the same for you. He sees potential where you see failure. Last week, if you remember, we talked about what our stories are like. We said there are three parts to our story if you're getting closer to God. There is your life before Christ, when you came to Christ, and then after that. And each of us, if you think of your life before Christ, it was a little bit ugly. Mine was like really ugly. Like ugly, ugly. Like, U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly. What, what, you ugly. You know? And that was my life before Christ. It was just ugly. And then I came to Christ, and Jesus chose to look past some things in my life. That's what he decided. I'll look past some things into your life and I will accept you and I I will embrace you as is. And that's the way he took me. I mean, the reality is he will accept anyone who will look past their faults. That's what he'll say. He says, I can look past your faults. I'll accept anyone who will turn to me and I will look past their faults and I'll find potential in them where other people see problems. And he did it for me. When uh, I was growing up, I was a kid who could not manage my anger. In fact, anger was one of those things that consumed my life. And I remember as a young kid, I'd kick doors and put holes in it. My dad had to actually put like a panel on some of the doors because I kicked it. I would throw stuff. I would get mad at my parents and just run out the house and be gone for a couple hours Ironically, they never really ran to come find me. I don't know why that was, but uh, they, they never did. And um, you'd say, well, kids are like that. Kids have a tendency to uh, kind of, you know, get angry. They don't know how to share that. And then college came, and then I got more angry, and I'd put people down and start fights and all kinds of just horrible stuff. But then I got married, and then I actually became a pastor. And... You would think that once I got married, once I became a pastor, then the anger would just go away, right? No. And I hate to say it, but, you know, the first five years of our marriage was very difficult for Jennifer because I couldn't control my anger. And I would throw things, punch the wall one time, uh, would have all kinds of these outbursts. And I think the worst ones were, and there were about a dozen or so, where she would be crying and tearful because I couldn't control my anger. And if you would have had a camera and you would have looked at our house those first five years, you'd go, that guy right there, he'll never start a church. That guy right there, he will never see hundreds of people come to Christ. That guy right there will never use it. That guy is not enough. That guy doesn't have potential. And this is what Jesus was able to do. 
He said, I can look past your mistakes and I can see potential in your life. And I went to counseling. I went to anger management. I worked on a lot of stuff in my life to find accountability. And God changed that in my life to where I could manage anger because he saw potential that other people would never see. And he was able to use me for greater things than what I had ever thought. And you know what the reality is, folks? God can do the same for you. Whatever it is in your life right now that you think is a mess and there's no way that it can ever change, you stay with God and you draw to him and he will find potential in your life that you can't see right now. And he says that if you're willing to do that, that I will actually then teach you how to do that for other people because that's what God does. He wants you to look more like him to where you see potential in people when other people see problems. Now, that example of me being angry was just one of dozens and dozens of examples. But can any of you relate to this? Some of you are looking too holy today, okay? Um, Can any of you relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. That we, we have those places in our life that need refined, that need reshaped. But God can see potential beyond our flub-ups, mess-ups, and screw-ups and can use us. And he says, I want you to start having my eyes as you see other people, that you would see potential in them beyond what you see right now. So how do you live a grander life? You prioritize people, and secondly, you see potential in people. And so the practical question becomes then, well, what can we do? What can I do to begin this grander living? If I want to be able to see what is underneath the surface, to see what God really wants to see in greater ways in my life, what do I have to do? And the first thing you need to practice is to start, to start small, but start. To actually choose to say, in a grander vision kind of way, I'm going to take some walks. I'm going to take a walk to reach out to someone who's disconnected from Christ or the church, who other people see as a problem, but I'm going to see potential in them. And if you're going to do that, you have to leave your circle of comfort and you have to go into the zone of the unknown to develop friendships, to discover stories, to be able to discern next steps of how you can shine your light in such a way that they could see God. So let me ask you to be thinking, because at the end I'm going to ask you to write down one or two things. What is one thing you could do this week to live a grander lifestyle? What's one thing you could do to live a grander lifestyle? Several years ago, there was a guy in uh, the church, a guy by the name of Kent, who came for the very first time uh, with his uh, love of his life, uh, Diane. And uh, they came when we were at the YMCA, and I remember them sitting kind of here in the middle. And I looked out, and they just kept coming back and back and back and back until finally they both accepted Christ. And they said, we're, we want to give our lives uh, to the things of God. And uh, their life was going great. And they said, hey, can we get in a small group? I'm like, yeah. They got in a small group. They started serving. Uh, Their life just did a 180. And then when they were at the pinnacle of their faith experience, she was diagnosed with cancer. Went through all kind of therapy. And within a matter of months, she died. I remember officiating at her uh, funeral. 
I remember looking down and, and seeing Kent. And I said, his life is at a crossroads right now. And he'll either choose to get closer to God or he will choose to walk away from him. It was at that moment where I knew something would change. And the next Sunday, he came to church by himself. And the next Sunday again, and again, and again. And he said, is there any way that I can help serve? And he just drew closer and closer to Christ again and again. And he said, how can I serve? And I said, well, we really need help on the setup team. Because at that point, we were putting up 400 chairs, tons of stage, screens, all kinds of stuff. And uh, I said, we could use that help. And today, Kent was actually on the setup team. Everything that you see right now, he and his team put together to do that. And I had the joy of being able to baptize him. And shortly after that, he became a partner here at the JAR. And he just started taking walks and he was inviting friends and family and all kinds of people and everything was going great. And I was talking one day about this grander vision living. And after the celebration, he came up to me and he said, you know, this might sound kind of crazy, but I have kind of a out of the box kind of idea. And I said, well, what is it? And uh, he told me, he said that I actually, um, I uh, fabricate and put together different racing cars for midgets and uh, sprints and all kinds of stuff. And then I do these simulators at different NASCAR events where people can come and they can uh, drive. And, And I thought that what we could maybe do is we could have a jar car. And I said, well, what do you mean by a jar car? He said, we're going to have a race car. It's going to be the jar car. I said, really? And uh, so he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get all my buddies who are disconnected from Christ in the church, but they love cars. We're all going to get together. We're going to build a car, do all kinds of stuff, put a decal on it, make it really, really cool, and then we're going to race it. And I was just talking to him a couple weeks ago when I said, hey, can I use this illustration? He said, yeah. He said, actually, there's a Tony Stewart driver who has raced the jar car. So Daytona 500, watch out. We're coming after you. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you could see that his buddies and his friends who were disconnected, they would work on the car, but then he'd talk about Christ and he'd talk about the church. And many of them grew closer to him in the midst of this. Now, this is what I want to say to each one of you. Many of you cannot do a jar car. You can't even change your oil. I can't. You know what I mean? So for me to do a jar car, that isn't going to do anything for me. But God is counting on you to live a grander lifestyle just like Kent has done. And so what is it that you could do to have an idea of walking across the room and impacting someone else's life? Well, for some of you, this week, you could take a coworker out to lunch. You know one of your coworkers is going through something, they're far from God, and you could walk across the room of the factory floor, whatever, to take them to lunch. Maybe for others of you, you have friends who have kids, and no one ever wants to watch their kids because their kids are wild. And they're far from God. But you could actually say, we'll take two hours of wild, and that's it. And you could do it. You could make an impact for somebody by being able to watch their kids, to babysit for their kids. Maybe for others of you, you could walk across 
a room, a factory floor, your school, across the hallway, and actually invite someone to come to church on the 23rd. I mean, every single one of us can do what I said at the beginning. Take your phone out. Just share the commercial on your Facebook page. You could do that. And you could invite someone to come and be a part of our mood series. And someone who's hurting could find healing on the 23rd. So folks, right now what I want to do is I want you to think about something you can do, something each and every one of you could do in your life to take a risk, to live a grander lifestyle right now. There's a couple of blanks in your program or on your phone. Those blanks are not just to stay that way. They are for you to fill something in. What is one thing you could do this week or two things that you could do this week to live a grander life, to prioritize people, to see potential in someone that you don't know right now. Take them out to eat. Reach out to them in some way. And so I'm going to give you a moment right now to actually do this, to write down, to type in your phone what's one thing or two things you could do to live a grander lifestyle this week. So take a moment to do that right now. encourage you to uh, now do whatever that thing is. This week, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to invite my sister on the 23rd to come, she and her family. There's a neighbor that's new to our neighborhood. I'm going to walk across the street, invite them to come. There's a family on my daughter's soccer team that we're going to walk across the banquet floor and invite them to come. And what I want to encourage you to do is to do something that lives a grander lifestyle. I mean, just imagine whatever it is that you wrote or you thought about, what if all of us actually did it? What if we all did it this week? Imagine what God might do with that. Because this is the truth, that Jesus has one priority until he returns. And his priority is to build the church. That's what he wants to do. He's putting everything in, all chips in. Remember, he went to a cross and he died on it. Why? So that people would come to him through his church. 
And the cool thing is, when he thinks of this grander vision living, he's asking you to join him in that. He's asking all of you in this section, all of you in this section, all of you in that section, everyone in the balcony, everyone on the stream, join me in this 24-7 until he returns again. His goal is to build the church, and he's asking you to join him. And so this week, you and I have an opportunity to build our one and only life on him and to build it in such a way that we can share it with others through the love of Christ to build his church. So I'm going to invite you right now to stand as we close about talking about how we build our life on him, the grander vision life. Let's sing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever save you worthy worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you oh we live for you let's lift our voices holy there is no None beside you Open up my eyes in wonder Show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in your love To those around me Jesus, no. 
sing that one more time. And I will build my life upon your love. Ease of firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Holy, there is no our voice let's sing together and I will build my life upon God it is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be God, we uh, come to you today, God, and we want to build our one and only life on you and you alone. And God, we don't want to just build it and keep ourselves inside our house or our apartment. We actually want to take some walks so we can have a grander vision for living, of being able to take a walk across the office this week or take a walk across our neighborhood or take a walk if we're a student across the hallway and to love people God who others may see no potential in at all God I pray that you would open up conversations this week that friendships would be formed and help us God to be people who are willing to prioritize people and see potential in people the way that you have us so that we could light up this world with your love. Now, maybe there are some of you right now that there's a void in your life. And as we were talking about God looking past our failures to see potential in us. Some of you have been so focused on your failure or you're not enough or you're not good enough or there's no way God could accept me for what I've done. You're wrong because he loves you so much and he sees potential beyond what you can see. And so today, if you're ready to say, I want to receive his love, I want to receive his grace, I want forgiveness, I want a new start, I want him to see potential in me that goes beyond my own life, then we're going to lift up a prayer here in a moment, and we're going to invite you to pray it, but it's not one that we pray alone, but we pray together in unity. And so I invite you right now, if you feel comfortable doing so, to simply repeat this prayer after me, but it's your prayer. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I want to build my life on your love. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.